The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a problem we have in Christianity. Um, I suppose all religions have this problem. Um, How do we know what God is like? Um, You might have noticed by now that God is invisible. Um, And even when we sense God at work in our life, it's usually in these ways that are difficult to put words to. If we sense God at work, It's hard to articulate, and it's certainly not something that would convince someone else that, oh, there must be a God, and this is exactly what that God is like. How do we know what God is like? One of the best answers to that question is that God came to us, and God lived among us as one of us in Jesus. You've probably heard of him. Um, And that is the clearest representation we have of what God is like. When, when in doubt, we do our best to look at what Jesus was like, right? And um, most of us have never met Jesus, but we have these texts, these, this New Testament that, that tell us uh, some sense of, of what God is like. But we all have this problem that, that what, is, what is God like? Theologians say that we humans, we all have this tendency to Um, What's the phrase? To remake God in our own image is what they say. We make God in our own image, which is to say that when I'm talking about God's I, Stephen, sometimes I'm actually just talking about Stephen in capital letters, but I call that God, you know, just Stephen, Stephen written really bigly, big, bigly, (laughs) Stephen written real big. Um, And we all have this tendency, right? We all have this tendency and one of the core responsibilities of us as people of faith, as people who are dedicated to following Jesus, is to seek out all of those ways that we're doing that, that we're not even noticing that we have these assumptions about what God is like that don't match what the God that actually exists is actually like. I think one of the most common ways to misunderstand God is revealed in this passage. Um, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians especially today, the, the letter from Paul. Paul uses this phrase that God uses the foolish things of the world 
to confound the wise. And that is not the way I think, you know? That's not, I think that's often not the way Christians think about God. I think you can see that, frankly, in the way Christians, many, not all, but many Christians in the media, when they talk about God, many of us think, I, gee golly, it sure seems like you think of God really differently than I do, you know? Sometimes we think about God differently. And, but I think this passage is one of uh, these most powerful passages in, in Scripture that can kind of be a nonsense detector for us and help us see this weakness in ourselves. God chose what is low and despised in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world, and that seems to be where God is at work. Uh, Martin Luther, note, have, have you guys heard of Martin Luther? He comes up around here. Yeah, Martin Luther noticed this theme. He noticed, my understanding is that Luther noticed this initially in the life of Jesus um, and then realized, gee golly, this is, gee golly is my phrase of the day, I think. He noticed that um, this is a consistent theme in the way that God works in Scripture. Luther noticed that when the most powerful being on earth decided to walk among humans, showed up with armies, obviously, in Rome or the capital of the Persian Empire or maybe the capital of whatever was going on in China at the time, right? No, none of those places. Certainly didn't show up with an army. Oh, right, because God mostly talks to Jewish folks. Oh, so of course he has to go to Israel. Okay, but at least then once he goes to Israel, he's going to show up with the armies, right? He's going to show up with the armies. He's going to be born in the king's palace or maybe the temple. Right, that would be good. Born in the temple, that would... That's, that's what God would do. No, but it's not what God did. You know the story. God was born to nobodies. God wasn't even born in a house. God was born in a barn. God wasn't even just born in a barn. God was literally born. God was literally born in a cattle trough where the cows ate, where the animals ate. That is how God came to us. Luther noticed this, that God chose almost the most humble, the most humiliating, the weakest thing God could have done in coming to humanity. And at the other end of Jesus's life, Luther noticed again that God's great plan for saving humanity, for saving all of creation, was not, again, with the angel armies, but literally the most humiliating death his society knew of. In a world that was focused on honor, Jesus chose the most humiliating death. And that was God's great plan for saving us all. And in fact, even in this most humiliating death, Jesus suffers indignity and indignity and indignity again. You know the story. Most of his friends abandoned, his male friends abandoned him. Um, and they just kept adding on and adding on. Luther noticed this, right? You don't need me to repeat the story for many of you. Luther noticed this and that consistently at almost every turn where you expect Jesus, you expect the God who walks among us to use power, to use strength, to use his presumably infinite like power that Jesus acts through humility. And Jesus doesn't side with powerful people. Jesus, as near as I can tell, never spoke to Herod, never spoke to these powerful people, rarely spoke to other powerful folks. But who did Jesus hang out with? Well, tax collectors, prostitutes, people like that. 
And in fact, the folks that we often think Jesus was hanging out with, um, the influential people, uh, I think it's because we misunderstand Jesus' society. For example, you might think, well, sure, Jesus sometimes hangs out with um, you know, these folks, but Jesus also hangs out with Pharisees, you know, and Pharisees. But Pharisees weren't the folks that had political power. Pharisees weren't the people of influence in their society. It's a misunderstanding of the New Testament to think that way. The Sadducees, Sadducees had political power. Sadducees had religious power. They had control of the temple. Herodians had political power. Read the text again. How often does Jesus actually talk to Sadducees and Herodians? Almost never. Occasionally they come to him, especially towards the end of his life. Jesus, like God, chose what is low and despised in this world. We, I think we often misunderstand God, thinking that God is where success is. So what does, this, what does this mean? Like, why do we care? I mean, as an academic thing, sure, I guess it's kind of interesting. But why do we care as people who want to be about Jesus' business in the world today? I think, I think I often hear people say, I don't see God at work in the world. I'll be honest, Stephen, I'm not sure I see God at work in the world around me. And they hear stories about other countries, maybe, or other times and other places where it seemed like God was working. And they say, I, I don't know where I see God at work in the world. I dare suggest that perhaps the reason is that we are not with the lowly things of the world. We don't spend our days with the low and despised in the world. We spend our days with the, you know, moderately successful, the reasonably um, refined and pleasant and happy and good, not the lowly and despised. And I don't think we should be ashamed of that. You know, we have to, as if, if you have a job, you want to succeed in your job. You want to work hard. You want to do well. That's kind of the nature of having a job. If you don't, most jobs don't exist anymore, right? And, and good for you, good for us, good for all of us for doing that. If you're in school, I hope you're working hard to succeed. You know, I'm not saying don't work hard, try to be a failure or anything like that. Of course, we're all trying to succeed. But that, that means that very few of us get time in our lives with the lowly things of the world. I think we should be making a concerted effort to find what is it, low and despised things in the world and make that part of our life. We do that at Inalienable. Um, we work, Inalienable works with migrants. That is what we believe is our mission. We work with migrants, um, people who've moved from sometimes one country to another, but especially most migrants globally move from one part of their own country to another part of their own country. Our work today is with a certain population of indigenous migrants actually inside of Mexico. They move from the south of Mexico to the north of Mexico to work in these big industrialized farms. Farm, the sort of farming we have here in California, like Fresno, big industrialized farming. And these folks we noticed as we started to hang out in this certain area, we noticed that these people were um, often taken advantage of and often Despised. They were the lowly despised things of this particular community where we were working. And um, we looked for ways to help. 
And so that is kind of the, the program that Inalienable does right now. We have a thing called um, the Birth Certificate Initiative, which is to say we literally realize that a lot of these folks, their citizenship isn't registered. They, by all rights, should be citizens of Mexico. They were born in Mexico. Uh, their grandma was born in Mexico. Their great-grandma was born in Mexico, going back to before Europeans showed up, right? But, um, but they never got the right paperwork to demonstrate that. And so they're sort of outcasts in their own society, unable to access all sorts of stuff. Um, our executive director, Arturo Rodriguez, he says that we have found in our work with Inalienable, we have found a mutual blessing. The blessing that we Americans provide is pretty straightforward. It's cash money. <laughs> we, we send money to our program in Mexico to pay for staff and so that our staff has money to go process legal paperwork and go, go to court and things like that on behalf of our clients. That's pretty straightforward, okay. But what we receive in return is not as straightforward, it's not as tangible, but I think it's what it looks like when God is at work. In response, we receive this knowledge that we're a part of the kingdom come, I think. We don't often say it that way in inalienable in our public communication, but speaking here today with other Christians, I, that's exactly what I think is happening. We're part of the kingdom come. We're part of God making all things new and finding what's broken in the world and being a part of repairing that. But you don't find that sort of work where things are going well. You go to where there's lowly and despised. I would invite uh, y'all as individuals and as a church community to be part of what Inalienable is doing. Um, I'd love to talk to you during the, the Sunday school hour. We're going to talk about Inalienable and like get into the details of what Inalienable does and, and things like that. I'd invite you to come, come hear about that, come see, see what we're doing. But I also recognize that some of us are not called to inalienable, right? Like, that's just not where God is leading us. When I, I suspect that for at least a few of us, when I started to talk about God is where the lowly and despised things are in the world, you immediately thought of a certain thing, perhaps, perhaps something you're already involved with, or perhaps something where you've thought for a long time, maybe I should get more involved with that. And maybe that's, maybe that's where God is leading you. Maybe it's I don't know, a soup kitchen or a homeless ministry or, or a ministry with children or, or something like that. I, I, I know inalienable isn't for everybody. It is for some of us. But I do want to commend to you this idea. Go where the lowly things are in the world. That is where God is at work. Let's pray. God, you, you continue to surprise me with how different you are from me. I, um, I'm called again and again to see that you're not how I suppose you to be, that you're with people who, who are not like me. And, and I know you love me too, and you love all of us, but, but I, I'm reminded again and again that you're with people at the margins, people who are having a hard time. God, and... Um, I ask you to make me more like you. Call me, lead me to ways that I can be about your work with folks at the margins. Amen.
Two. 